Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yuck, huh? I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it was all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah once. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270 a fan. Wet ball. Taking your calls at 270-1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome into the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Tim Graham Show, of course, is brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Bison Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Here with my usual crew, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, Jonah Bronstein of The Bronstein Firm, Bobby Rosati on the board. I've already got Bobby jumping through hoops today because we have a busy show. Busy show. Uh, We are going to have in studio at some point Jordan Burroughs. Jordan Burroughs is an Olympic gold medalist. He is one of the greatest freestyle wrestlers of all time. And you may say, well, I don't know. What about Dan Gable and, you know, these other guys? But Jordan Burroughs, one of only four to win an NCAA title at Nebraska and then a world championship in the same year. He's a two-time Olympian. Has a U.S. record 69 straight victories to start his post-college career. Nice. Dealt with some injuries, so he didn't win a medal in the 2016 Olympics. But he did win the 2013 world title less than a month after breaking his ankle. I mean, this isn't... Less than a month? Less than a month. Well, how bad Wrestling. did he break it? Well, we're going to talk to him about it. He's <laughs> yeah, also, he's also a Bills fan. He's in town because uh, he's holding a wrestling camp at UB this weekend. And we're going to talk about that. But uh, looking forward to talking to Jordan Burroughs. He is somebody that Sean McDermott has brought in to speak to the Bills. Great motivational speaker. And uh, I don't know Jordan. I've never met him. But uh, she's probably listening right now. His wife, the former Lauren Mariocker, used to be a sports writer at the Buffalo News. That so did is, you. Uh, so did I. That's right. <laughs> And someday, also, you will be a former um, Buffalo News sports writer. I'm current and going to be there a I long said time. someday. Well, I hope so. Also on the show today, Greg Camarillo. And you may say, who the hell is that? And that's part of the beauty of Greg Camarillo. Greg Camarillo played on the 2007 Miami Dolphins, the first team I ever covered as a beat writer. The Miami Dolphins went 1-15 And we have comparisons, of course, with the current Miami Dolphins. But Lauren, uh, Lauren, I was talking about, I'm looking at Lauren Mariocker on my, but Lauren Mariocker did not score a touchdown against the Baltimore Ravens. 
Greg Camarillo, in overtime against the Baltimore Ravens, scores a 64-yard touchdown. He went into that game with one career reception for two yards, didn't score a touchdown in college, and was a walk-on punter at Stanford, by the way. There's a great story. Now, he ends up sticking in the NFL for eight years or something like that, catches touchdown passes from Brett Favre, played with the Saints, caught some passes from Drew Brees, had a nice career for a guy who wasn't supposed to play a down of football probably after high school. And uh, we're going to talk about what it feels like when the pressure mounts, when you are winless, when you suck, when everybody expects you to lose. And the reason uh, I think it's funny that people don't know Greg Camarillo is because he came out of nowhere to be a hero in a game. And if Bills fans are overlooking the Miami Dolphins this week, beware of guys like Greg Camarillo. You might be looking at that Dolphins roster and say, all right, who's going to beat us this week? And you know what? You might also be thinking, all right, so the Dolphins might come up for air at some point, but they're not going to do it against this defense. Well, guess who those Ravens had on that defense? Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis, Terrell, Terrell Suggs, Suggs, Ed Reed, Haloti Nada. Was Ed Reed still on the team? Ed Reed is who Greg Camarillo beat for a 64-yard touchdown. Yeah. And it wasn't it was like a run. It was a catch and run. It was a skinny post in sudden death. Um, I'm missing a guy was or Chris two. Chris McAllister. Bart still Scott was on, on that. that team. Was Rex Ryan Let coordinating him? that defense? No. Ooh, good question. I believe so. Well, that's probably why Miami won. <laughs> And the Ravens won 13 games the year before. They had a bad year that year. But anyways, those. so, and, hey, look, if you're a Bills fan, you shouldn't need to think too far back to when your team pulled off an upset while the other team was favored by 16 and a half points because it happened just last year. The Bills went to Minnesota and beat the Vikings a little earlier in the season when we didn't know as much about either team. But it happens, man. So and who's playing quarterback for the Dolphins? Exactly. Well, that's something to talk about, and it's not just because he played here. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, people, people around here should know he gets his teammates up, even if it's for a short period of time. His teammates love to play for him, and the idea that he's coming back to Buffalo. Yeah, you know what I remember though is when the Jets needed to come into Orchard Park and beat the Bills to get to the playoffs, and Ryan Fitzpatrick threw an interception late in the Ryan game that cost her. Uh, but still, Brian Flores looking for a spark, maybe? I don't know. Well, what do we think? Is this how real? Look, it's rare that a 16-and-a-half-point underdog can pull off a victory. That's We wrote about it just last year. It was historically rare. Is there anything to be concerned about right now if you're a Bills fan and the Miami Dolphins? I don't think you're overly concerned about much of anything. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick has beaten them a couple of times. Houston uh, in 2014, I believe it was 2016, uh, that opening game uh, on Thursday night, that home opener where he lit them up. But he doesn't exactly have a ton of talent around him. This offensive line for Miami is really, really bad. And unless they get caught napping, which the Bills – don't seem like the type of team that are going to get caught napping. In some way, it seems like the Dolphins are so bad 
that they're not catching teams napping, if that makes sense. Like teams are on guard about being that that one team, uh, you know, to let their guard down against, uh, you know, this possibly historically bad team given the point spreads they're they're putting up. But you watch the NFL every week and weird things happen. So uh, they can't exactly coast through the week and hope to show up on Sunday and win, but they probably can do pretty much the bare minimum uh, in terms of preparation, game plan, whatever else, and and get away with it because Fitzpatrick is a desperate quarterback at times and I think he plays even more desperate when he's surrounded by the cast of characters he's got at his disposal right now. And the Bills are healthy coming out of the bye. It looks like they're going to have Devin Singletary back. Um, should be full go, right? Yeah, it looks like it. He's Tyler full participant Croft. today. Tyler Croft could be back. So it's a healthy Bills team coming off a bye. You know, they've had the extra week to get their bodies ready. Even Matt Milano looked like uh, he was doing more today than probably we expected him to. But, I mean, injury-wise, this team is ready to, to play. And as long as, you know, mentally they're with it and ready to play, I think this Dolphins team is bad enough that even if there are some lapses during the game, even if Josh Allen has some of those turnovers that have that have popped up and creeped into his game, that they can kind of figure it out, get their bearings, and and you know still come out with a win. They've played better teams and and played poorly and found a way to win. So there'd be major cause for concern uh, if they don't beat the Dolphins because. You know, what I noticed during the, the bye week and, and on Sunday is people are starting to play the game where they check off the wins. You know, they go down the schedule and you just check them off. Oh, that's an easy one. Broncos, that's an easy one. Steelers is an easy one. And Sunday made it made people say, well, the Eagles, that looks like a winnable game. Cowboys looks pretty winnable on Thanksgiving. But on the flip side, you're like, well, the Steelers just beat the Chargers. So... If the Steelers with an undrafted rookie can beat the Chargers, then maybe, you know, Bills fans should put their pens away and stop checking off wins because you just never know. These are professional football players. And, again, I mean, there's all kinds of rationale that you can make about how it's not going to happen this week, and it probably won't that the Dolphins get a win against the Bills. I wouldn't bet on it. But it happens. It does happen. And uh, look, Bills fans, if if you're not uh, prone to uh, feeling the uh, the dubiousness of all the different things that befall a team, uh, it's befallen the Bills before, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. I think when you're talking about a victory, sure, uh, five and one is five and one, but can there be too much? put on expectation of a dominant performance here? Like, do they have to win by two touchdowns? Do they have to cover the spread? Do they do they need to stomp the Dolphins into into the dirt? I mean, what do they have to show us something, or is it just a, is a win a win? I mean, of course, technically, no. They don't have to pound them, right? I well, mean, Jonah was know. making a face there. Well, just to stomp them into the dirt, I don't really know if they need to do that. But then I thought about it. They do... I mean, if you want people like us, like we did last week, to stop poking holes in the record and saying maybe they're not quite as good as their record, then yeah, a big 20, 30-point win is probably necessary here. 
But at the same time, are we going to sit here and feel 10 times better if they just blow the doors off the Dolphins? Most people will say, well, it's the Dolphins. So, I mean, strictly speaking, in a game like this, I feel like you're just trying to avoid the disaster scenario of losing. Uh, Style points don't really count in the NFL like they do in college. So winning and getting out of there without being that team that ends up with egg on its face for losing to the Dolphins because they might beat somebody at some point. You know, it's not a guarantee that they're going to go 0-16 as bad as they are. Not being that team is is a win. And, you know, style points are nice, but I don't even know that you get style points for beating a team this bad. I don't know that we learn anything. I mean, if they go out and win 49 nothing, at least we sit there and say, all right, they're capable of – really putting the the pedal to the floor if they need to, the way the Ravens did in week one. But this team is so bad that it's hard to – it'd be hard to, you know, give them too much credit, you know, regardless of – I'm a little closer to where Joan is, though, because it's like we talked about last week on the show. And, I, Matt, I know you, you weren't here and probably – I would hope you didn't listen to the podcast of the show because that you had other things to do. I did not. Good. So to rehash one of my points was 08, when the Bills started off 5-1, and one, one of the things that I think a lot of people are forgetting about how good this feels as a Bills fan or a member of that locker room is once the Bills went on to lose all those games and looked terrible and people wondered, well, what happened to that team that was 5-1? and one? Is you went back and you looked at all the records of the teams that they went 5-1 and one against and they were lousy. The Chargers were the best team in the group. They went eight and eight, but the other teams were four and twelve, five and eleven. I'm kind of I'm I'm in the ballpark on a couple of them. I don't have them up right here in front of me, but they weren't good teams. And so I think that we maybe have too short of a memory in Western New York. That let's probably keep in mind that they haven't faced the as that good a competition to where we know what they are yet. And I know the Bills Parcells famous quote is you are what your record says you are, but with the, with the schedule, the way it's been, and they do have based on win loss percentage at the moment, the easiest schedule remaining in the, in the NFL, we still really don't know how good they are. And I think a close victory over the dolphins. And we still have those same questions going into the next week's game against Philly, right? Yeah, it would raise red flags for sure. And so there, there's something to be learned one way or the other, um, definitely. But And to your point, you know, you look at things like ESPN's FPI or uh, Football Outsiders DVOA, they're in the tw- ranked, I think, 24th in DVOA, um, you know. So they haven't impressed a lot of people yet. And probably because they haven't really won with style points yet, unless you consider fourth quarter comebacks style points. So if they have to do the same thing, then I think you've learned something about them. Still, they'd be five and one with another game. I mean, the the schedule doesn't get that much more difficult. So I think we all probably know that, you know, or maybe not, I guess there's some people in town that are legitimately thinking this could be a 15 and one football team, but 
<laughs> and I, I don't say that facetiously. I think there's people out there that think that. And with the schedule, I mean— The defense potentially the is defense that good? The defense is really good. But, you know, I think knowing that they're not probably probably not a Super Bowl contender this year, um, but that they should at the very least be a playoff team, and this is just another stepping stone. Like I said, people are checking off those those wins— I've, you know, at least allowed the people to check off the Dolphins game because those should be wins. But, yeah, if they have to sweat it out, that's going to cause some – that might even cause some confidence issues in the room. If they're wondering, you know, why can't we beat this team by at least two scores? And more so, I I would say, than the victory margin is can the offense score points? Like if they win – Let's say they cover the spread, they win nineteen to nothing, but it's a defensive touchdown and four field goals. I think this offense, if you're a Bills fan, you'd like to see them score more points. You know, the Ravens had fifty nine, the Patriots forty three, the Cowboys thirty one, the Chargers thirty, all against the Dolphins. So if the Bills are consider themselves on that level, a Super Bowl contender, they probably got to score as many points as these other teams that are possibly Super Bowl contenders. That's a great chance for the offense to build some confidence, and you know get into a bit of a rhythm because they've really not had one at all during the first five games of the season. And it's been hit or miss. It's been in spots. But I don't think the offense inspired a whole lot of confidence in a lot of people in the games before the bye week. So, you know, I I think that's a a good point that putting up points against this team not only, you know, sets you at ease about, all right, we we can blow out an inferior opponent, but also it just gives this offense a chance to find itself a little bit because whether it's injuries, pieces moving in and out, and, you know, the offensive line shuffling here and there, the quarterback, um, you know, kind of riding the roller coaster a little bit, they haven't found an identity or a rhythm or anything. And what better chance to do it than against the doormat of the league? The doormat Dolphins. This could be, I mean, we've given all the warning signs you know, let's, you know, maybe tap the brakes. This could be, though, one of the, if the if the Dolphins do show up as advertised, this could be one of the f- most entertaining games that Bills fans have experienced in a long time in terms of just an obnoxious, lopsided laugher. Yeah, they, they don't do that often, do they? Just I mean, the defense just teams and just pummeling and maybe Josh Allen uncorks a couple deep balls because the Dolphins are prone to that. I mean, who knows? I mean, we could we could see fireworks. And you'll probably it's probably a great game to go to because you can you can tailgate as much as you want. You're probably not worried too much if you can see straight. You know, you're <laughs> you're in there, and you might not even care if you're in there on time. You're just taking a leisurely stroll. It reminds me of those games in college when you know they schedule the one double A. And you're just—it's just a nice warm up for everybody to get get their sea legs back under them after the bye week. Big stretch of you, home games coming up. You just have to hope that the Bills don't aren't right. thinking that way. The fans, it's okay for the fans to think that way. All right, when we come back, Jordan Burroughs uh, is going to join us. Jordan Burroughs, uh, two-time Olympian, gold medalist in 2012 uh, in wrestling, and uh, he's in town. He has a camp going on, and we're going to get into some sports psychology talk with him. He's a huge Bills fan, so he's going to have some thoughts on them. Uh, He's spoken to the team before. Just a fascinating guest that I've really been looking forward to having 
here in the studio. Uh, he's already here. He was here early, like a professional. And uh, I think it's going to be good times. On the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is The Tim Graham Show. So you're telling me there's a chance. On Twitter at 1270, The Fan. I wasn't supposed to put trifle taking your calls at 270 1270 podcast available on apple podcast tune in radio and sports radio 1270.com that's a lot of information to get in 30 seconds sports radio 1270 the tim graham show the fan celebrating its 25th anniversary this year shampoo travis Bisa, and kirchner is a full-service accounting firm that also offers expert consultation for growing and entrepreneurial businesses. Located in Amherst, CTBK specializes in maintaining a human connection and takes a bullish approach to their clients' goals and visions with a no-surprises billing policy. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, or practically any other business operation need you can imagine, Call CTBK for a consultation at 716-630-2400. That's 716-630-2400. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. A quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. 716-630-2400. He's been there every day. You can trust what he says. He's not just pulling stuff out of his room. This is... I mean, not Bill's takes, anyway. The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. Joined here in the studio by Jordan Burroughs. One of the all-time greatest freestyle wrestlers. Now, I always struggle with that because I don't want to offend by calling it the wrong thing. Is it free? Do, what do I want to say? Yeah, yeah, freestyle, freestyle Okay. Not professional. Anything well, I know but that, but wrestling. I know that there's also Greco-Roman. I also saw, what is, what's the other phrase that gets used? Uh, Man, there's some folk style. Folk style. Folk style is what That's you see college, in college right? and in high school. But not And internationally, not it's, it's freestyle and Greco. So the only difference between freestyle and Greco is... And Greco-Roman, you can't touch your opponent's legs. He can't touch your legs. So mostly or only all upper body attacks. And then freestyle is the entire body. Right. So that's the two main differences between freestyle and Greco. Two-time Olympian, won a gold medal, yep. had injuries the last Olympics in 2016, aiming to come back in 2020. To the trials are in April. What's it, the competition look like? It's tough. So we actually have a guy. His name is Kyle Dake. He was up at 79 kilograms, which is 174. He's been a world champion in 2018, 2019. He's going to come down to 74 kilograms um, to compete against me. So it's it's going to be a really unique position that I'm in this time because as I become older, it gets more difficult and the young guys get hungrier and more refined. Uh, but I think it's, it's a good place for me. I'm looking to be one of the few wrestlers to go on and be a three-time Olympian. So because I was a medalist at this past year's World Championships, I'm automatically 
put in the finals of the Olympic trials, which are April 4th and 5th in State College, PA, at the Bryce Jordan Center. Um, so, so then you only have one match? So I, one guy. One guy, best out of two, or best out of three. So right. two matches against one guy, ideally. So it's going to be it's gonna be intense. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be tough. Only six weight classes, one guy per weight class. So unlike different sports, like let's say track and field, they take the top three times at each event. In wrestling, there's only one guy per weight class, only six different weight classes. So are you finding yourself scouting this one opponent because you – well, you can't assume and you need to prepare for meeting anybody in right, that right. final. But if you yeah, you, you know can, he's that good yeah, for sure. and he's coming down in weight and he's had all the success, do you find yourself thinking, all right, this is the guy I'm watching film on and trying to find uh, opponents or, for the lack of a better phrase, sparring partners yeah, that, sure. you, uh, that can replicate what this guy does? I think so. I think you have to recognize who the standard of the weight class is and then you try to prepare for the best guys there's certain level of guys where although they're good and i say this respectfully they can compete at a high level you know that you can beat these guys you want to compete against the guys that you know are going to give you a difficult time and that have tendencies that may challenge your weaknesses and that's he's a guy kyle Diggs is a guy that's going to be able to do that for me so although i don't know if he's going to make it through he's the guy that i'm anticipating making it through and so i'm preparing for him that, that's a long time to prepare, knowing yeah, that you're in the sure. final, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, April. It's, it's right? not easy. So we're looking at six months. Yeah. Of about. knowing that you are going to be center stage with everything on yeah, the line. It's big time. It's wild, right? It's almost like a prize fight. And that's true. MMA it's like or the, boxing, where it's like I know that I'm going to be on this big stage. Unlike like typically in the Olympics or World Championships, you have five or six matches in that day. And so you start in the preliminary round. So you have four or five matches before you even get an opportunity to wrestle for a medal. But here, you know, if I win these two matches on this night at 7 p.m., I'm going to be going on to wrestle at the Olympic Games in Tokyo. So it, it definitely can be stressful, but it's it's cool still. Now, Jordan, what is it like then to be in such a clutch situation but starting cold in some regard, and it, it, I'm guessing in some tournament, have you been in this situation yeah, for before? Sure. For sure. So, what's that like? How how do you prepare for somebody who has been wrestling either earlier that day or the day before? That's a good question. I would rather sit always than to compete before. So, although you are gaining some momentum and you're getting the ball rolling because you competed a little bit, I think that you risk injury, right? You you risk fatigue. And just the natural wear and tear of having to go against other really solid competitors throughout the day before. So I think that for me, it's putting myself in controllable circumstances in which I can still get what I need from a physical perspective. Like I'm going to get out on the mat. I'm going to drill. I'm going to do a little live wrestling. But it's all going to be in a controlled environment. So I can reduce the risk of injury. I'm not going to really fatigue my body. And I'm going to stay sharp mentally so I know when I go out there, I'm not going out cold. I'm still prepared. I've done as much as this guy, but in a more controlled environment. So, yeah, I'll be sharp. I'll be ready. Olympic gold medal wrestler Jordan Burroughs is here in studio because he is in town for a camp that's going to be at UB on October, well, October 19th. That's Saturday. Yeah, that's Saturday. Uh, it is the All I See is Gold Wrestling Camp, and that name comes from Jordan Burroughs' Twitter handle. If you yeah. want to follow him, it is at All I See is Gold. And so the All I See is Gold Wrestling Camp, Saturday at UB Fieldhouse, uh, two wrestling sessions. They'll have lunch, a Q&A session, uh, and uh, it's $100 a wrestler. 
to come down and uh, learn from one of the greatest of all time and to also hear from him, which yeah, I think sure. when it comes to wrestling or any sport, uh, it's uh, it's good to hear from it just to be, as in addition to be shown some technique. For sure, for sure. I think that wrestling is a very special sport because of the individual aspect of it. You get an opportunity to be physically developed and have you know, athletic prowess, but I also think that the mental toughness and character necessary to be a successful wrestler is different than any other sport in the world. And one of the cool things about it for me is I get to travel the entire country and kind of just give back the knowledge that I've learned along my journey really cool part about it is I'm still doing this. So as opposed to being this old guy that's like, hey, back in my day, I used to do this. I'm like, no, let me give you the same technique, the same mindset that I'm going to use in the Olympic trials that I've used at the Olympic Games, the World Championships. And this is proof that it actually works. And I'm going to give you the same ideals right now um, that you can use in your own career. So it's, it's a, I'm in a powerful position. That is, and when you put it that way, it sure does. Sound, it sounds like you enjoy. I do being in that role. I do because I was these guys. I was this young cat, um, fifteen years ago when I was in high school trying to figure out who I was going to be, what I was going to do, how high of a level I could compete at someday. And so I try to give back to these guys and tell them, "Hey, listen, everyone in here has the capability of being great. What that greatness will become, that's completely up to you." But I'm just going to plant the seed, and then you guys have to cultivate it and go out and work hard. Uh, so it's it's a tremendous blessing for me, and I'm hoping that someday I'll be the spark that actually leads on to the next generation of champions. I know one of your biggest fans uh, in terms of your speaking. He brought you in to talk to the Buffalo Bills, Sean McDermott. Uh, yeah, that was so cool. That's a you know somebody who's going to vouch for uh, you uh, talking to the troops and, and yeah. giving an uplifting message. Um, now, Lauren tells me that you've been, I guess, forced into Bill's fandom. Yeah, no, not forced. It, it, I, I was welcomed into Bill's fandom. You right? chose so, this and, path? And so you guys know Thurman Thomas is Lauren's uncle. Yes. And so I've never had, like, a connection with a team outside of liking their jerseys or just being in the same vicinity uh, from a geographical perspective. So this is the first time I actually knew someone and got connected to what it meant to actually root for a team and to be ingrained in the culture. Um, and so naturally I just had an affinity for the bills. And now, so we've Lauren and I just celebrated our sixth anniversary on October 12th. And so I've been a bills fan for six years now and we're doing well this year. I'm excited about the future and what we have and everything. We just have so much tradition and history. It's a good place to play football, and I think that the city loves their team, and that's what makes me excited about being a Bills fan. It's like when you tell someone that you're a Buffalo Bills fan, they know for sure that you're not a bandwagon jumper. That's right? true. You're a guy that is just committed that's for a, a cause. You know you have a and mental so I say, people are like, who are you a fan of? And I'm like, I'm a fan of the Bills. They're like, oh, why? And I'm like, uh, it's a long story, but I'm a Bills fan. <laughs> Jordan, uh, what's it like to talk to non-wrestlers? Because there are people who want to hear what you have to say, and wrestling is a – a fraternity almost it's sure. uh you know you get around other wrestlers you can speak the same language it's people are wired a certain way yeah so uh talking to these kids on saturday is one thing and their coaches but to talk to other professional athletes or or businessmen and maybe are there any some unusual speaking engagements that you've had where it's like i can't believe these people want to hear what i have to say well you know what was interesting is going to bill's camp a few years ago and talking to these guys i always hold the NFL up on this pedestal where these guys are amazing athletes, but 
the realization I'm a 31 year old man I'm older than most of the guys that are playing in the NFL and so here I am in this position where I'm a big fan of you know at the time Sammy Watkins and LaShawn McCoy and Tyrell or Tyrod Taylor and all these amazing players that we had in those years and now I'm having the opportunity to give a speech to these guys and they're like hey listen we're listening and focused on what you're doing so I think that when they see an Olympic gold medal people know that that just kind of transcends all athletics you know if a guy's won an Olympic gold medal they've put in a ton of work they've done it at a high level and so I think that level of excellence that I try to um, exemplify really is identifiable from anyone and so that's a cool thing. When I go to an NFL training camp or if I go to the Murchie Family Fieldhouse and talk to a bunch of 10-year-olds from the Western New York, I think the one thing they can understand is your ability to have impact is going to be determined by your willingness to work hard, sacrifice, and really commit to a cause for a long period of time. I've been doing this for a long time. I wasn't always great, didn't grow up as the best, wasn't the best athlete in my family. I'm the baby and the youngest of four from South Jersey. I came from a small town and here I've been able to make it to the top of the world in my sport in which not a lot of people have been able to do from where I'm from. And so I think that I am the average American and I think that's why I have the ability to connect and influence a lot of people who dream of being the best and don't come from tradition or lineage or history. Yeah. Where did it click for you? I mean, where did the, you know, you're giving these speeches on, on the mental side of yeah. everything, which is really what what's going to separate a lot of wrestlers that are on a similar physical plane. Where did sort of the, the foundations of, of what you talk about in that way, you know, form for you? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I really, I recognize that that was necessary to be the best. Um, because when I was young, I was small, right? I was a shrimp. I graduated from high school. I was 135 pounds. And when I got to college, I went from being the best guy on my high school team and in the area to just being another guy on the team. I was a one-time state champ. I got to college. Guys were four-time state champs. Hadn't even lost a high school match. Like, how do I separate myself from the rest of my teammates and really become a guy that the coach recognizes as being the guy and that can, he can depend on to put in a lineup and go out and get a victory? Um, and so, for me, the transition really occurred between my sophomore year and junior year of college. I realized that in order for people to believe in you around you, you have to first believe in yourself. And you've got to show them that you're willing to work. And that was kind of the next step for me as I started to align my goals with my work ethic to say not only did I want to be a champion, but I'm going to actually work like a champion. A lot of people will tell you that they want to be great, but if you just watch their habits, they tell you the opposite, right? You can tell me you want to lose weight, but if you're eating a Big Mac, I'm not going to believe you. Yeah. And so I think it's the same thing in, in all sports, athletics, and in life, period. If you want to be great, you show people by your actions. And I started to do that, and people started to come beside me. And so I had a great team that encouraged me, great coaching staff, great training staff, a great family, and I just worked hard. And the rest is history. How much, I mean, as you're preparing now for another run at, at the Olympics, how soon does sort of the, the preparation start where I assume, I mean, do you ever even get off a diet? Do you ever yeah, even I do. get I, off I had it? some uh, cider mill donuts yeah. yesterday, actually. <laughs> I, uh, you know, this, so this is my break time. So I wrestled the world championships in late September. And so I've been off for about three and a half, four weeks. And we start training camp back at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs on October 27th. And so that's the first time that I'll get back on the mat. And then I'll start to really make the preparational phase for um, the Olympic trials. And so we'll have a few tournaments next year. My first tournament back is January 16th. It's in Rome. And then I will be competing in the Pan Am Championships in Ottawa in March. 
then the trials in April, going to Warsaw, Poland to compete in June, and then the Olympic Games are in Tokyo in August of 2020. So you kind of set a schedule of tournaments that you want to hit and all those are preparation for the big stuff the trials because you got to qualify and then obviously the olympic games it's tough you only get to do this every four years imagine if there was a super bowl (laughs) once every four years how important and how the big the implications would be the magnitude would just be humongous and so for us we're only really marketable as olympians every four years and you put a ton of work in in that quad to just try to prepare for one single tournament. So it's stressful, a lot of anxiety involved, but I've done a little bit of both. I had an amazing performance in 2012 where I won the gold, and I had a poor performance in 2016 where I came home medalist. And so I think at this point, I'm in a place where I'm like, I've done everything. I've been at the highest of highs and lowest of lows. I can just compete with freedom and hopefully get the job done. You know, I talked to... High school wrestlers every year, they're state champions and love the sport, but they don't always continue with it in college because of that grind of maintaining weight, yeah, the mental hard. and physical grind. What's kept you going doing that into now your 30s, and, and what do you say to maybe a high school senior that's trying to decide whether they want to continue with the sport? Yeah, I would say for me, I, I just love it. I love what I do, and it's been one of the few things that I've been blessed with. I didn't consider myself particularly talented. So this is one of the things that I've been really good at. So I'm going to stick to it as long as I can, right? When you're the best in the world or something, you don't just quit and go out and try to find something else. And so the difficulty for me as I get older, I start to look at my athletic mortality in the eye and say, okay, well, I'm going to eventually have to make a transition out of sport and do something else. The scary thing is you may never find anything that you're as passionate about as you are about your sport because I've been doing this since I was five years old. My first weight class was 45 pounds. I was a tiny little guy. Um, and so I, my recommendation or piece of advice to a young cat that's coming up and he wants to do it is, number one, make sure you really love it. This is way too hard of a sport to do on someone else's terms. Uh, so I'd say make sure that you love it. Make sure that you understand that sometimes, even though you do love it, it's going to be hard to get up some mornings. I'm a big fan of wrestling. I love it tremendously, but there's some days where I don't want to get up and run. I don't want to skip a meal. I don't want to sit in the sauna. Uh, and so I think that then your commitment to the sport has to supersede your love because some days it's not going to be as desirable. And I think that when you can do that and get up on the tough days and still go after it because you have big goals for yourself, you realize that it's bigger than you. My family, my friends, everyone that's involved in my inner circle gets to live vicariously through my hard work. Someone's dependent on me to work hard and to get the job done so they can live with excellence as well, just from viewing my journey and being intertwined with me somehow. So I have a big responsibility um, to do what I do and do it at my best level. And if I'm going to wrestle, I'm going to make sure that I'm doing it well. So I train hard, compete hard, treat my body the right way. And uh, yeah. How do you handle the aspect of other people coming along for the ride and not wanting to let them down, but also at the same time thinking to yourself, this is a lot of pressure, and when can I get to do me? Never. Never. Like you, When you're in this position, you never really have personal time. I have a family. I've got two little ones at home, a wife. I've got another little one on the way. I'm an ambassador for this wrestling, all USA Wrestling, basically all over the world. And you really don't have time to yourself. I think you are a product of the people. And essentially, this is something that I understood when I took on this journey. And so when I decided to embark on this trip, I was like, this is what I'm going to have to do. And there are going to be times where life is going to be interrupted and it's going to be stressful. And I'm going to have to 
really dedicate and commit a lot of my time to other people, but I think that it's so much bigger than myself, and I recognized that a long time ago. So it makes this journey more peaceful because I'm like, even though it's hard for me, I am the sacrifice for a lot of people that are going to come behind me and be able to be great because of me. And so, yeah, I mean, I would love to just relax and take time off and, you know, be left alone um, and not be under public scrutiny or live my life under a microscope. But I think that then that means I wouldn't be doing things at a high level. So the more attention I get means the more winning I'm doing, hopefully. Right. I don't know. In yeah. today's society, <laughs> it can be a lot of different things. But I think that for me, I've gotten this attention because I've won and I've won for a long time. Um, so, yeah, I try to stay focused on the good parts of what I do and not the overwhelming parts. Olympic gold medal wrestler Jordan Burroughs here in the Sports Radio 1270, the fan studio. Just uh, stick around for one more segment? Yeah, for sure. All right, we'll maybe have a little bit uh, more sports psychology talk because I think it pertains, well, it pertains to all sports, but in wrestling it just seems to be that much closer to the surface. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and some things that anybody can can benefit from hearing. But also maybe have a little fun, too, when we come back. I'm always about fun. On the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK, here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Their load over Josh Allen. That's not, that doesn't get me off. That doesn't get me off the go ahead and jot down that time too, brother. On Twitter at twelve seventy the fan. My fifth year incoming altar boy class, I think, was bigger and better than any other class. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Here in studio with Olympic gold medal wrestler Jordan Burroughs. He's in town for a camp at UB, the All I See is Gold wrestling camp. And you might say, well, what, All I See is Gold? Well, that's his Twitter handle, at All I See is Gold, if you want to follow Jordan Burroughs. So he's in town for his wrestling camp. It's going to be Saturday at the UB Fieldhouse. A couple of wrestling sessions, lunch, a Q&A session, uh, $100 a wrestler. And uh, also, I think I saw everybody gets an autograph, Jordan Burroughs poster. I'm yeah. sure there'll be photo ops and all that stuff. I mean, you're not so big time that you're just going to come in, you know, and then leave out a back door. No, no. I don't leave the... until every kid gets an opportunity to nice. chat with me. Absolutely. Yeah. This yeah, seems, You seem like time. that kind of guy. So let's talk about your Bills. Since this is your adopted team, 4-1. and one, uh, Rolling. What are your thoughts on on the Bills? And how about this? Let me let me ask. Since this is a little, we've been teasing sports psychology a little bit. The Bills are sixteen and a half point favorites against the Dolphins. It looks like the Dolphins are trying to tank this season, but I'm sure you've been up against a live what they call a live dog before. Oh yeah. What uh, What do you have to you do? Don't trust them. As you a, can't trust them, right? It's always the guy that you think. Right, that you can beat, and that's going to be an easy matchup for you. That gives you the hardest time. Let I, me ask you this: this may sound, this may sound like a tough. You know, I'm just going to ask it because yep. I think you'll you'll take it in the spirit it's asked. What's your worst loss? Worst loss? 
Oh, man. It was probably my first loss. It was probably my, my very first loss uh, back in 2014. I lost to a guy named... After winning 69 after straight winning 69 matches to start your career. After winning 16, I lost to a guy that I had already beaten twice before then. And, I mean, he was a good guy. He's a world team member, but I had no business losing to that guy. Let's put it that way. And it was one of those same exact matchups where you're like, oh, I can beat this guy. It doesn't really matter. I'm just going to mess around, play the field for the whole match, and then the last 10 seconds I'll get a takedown and I win. But it didn't go according to plan. Where did it turn for you on that um, one? In the match, I got I, the gap widened a little bit too much where I couldn't I couldn't make a comeback. So I was down like two to one, and I was going for a takedown. Ended up getting taken down until it went from being three to two to I, me being down four to one. And so it was really hard for me to make up that. There's no three point takedowns in wrestling, um, and so it was really difficult for me to make up that gap and that margin. And, and how much time was back. left? Um, on like 15 seconds. Oh, okay. Yeah, so so what, it was rough. what's going through your mind? You're now down 4-1. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> I got I to gotta shoot a whole bunch and, and hope for something good. Maybe I could put him to his back. But he was solid, and it had been difficult for me to take him down throughout the match. So I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get him. I'm still going to go down swinging. And I got to take down late, and I needed to turn him on top, but I couldn't. So I, I just I lost. <laughs> How long does that stick with you? Forever. Every I remember every loss. And I haven't lost a ton in my wrestling career on the senior level, but I, I still remember vividly pretty much every match and the dynamics of the match, where I went wrong, what position I could improve on. And I think those are the blunders that really hurt the most is you're like, man, if I would have done this in that match or when I had my hand here, if I would have rotated left instead of right, if I would have put my head here in his chest as opposed to in his thigh, like just little things like that, little movements. Um, little nuances you you think that you could have maybe changed the outcome of the match. So beware. Yeah, beware. I particularly for the Bills, I think that you got to play these guys harder than you would play, let's say, the Pats, right? because although they are tanking, they're what zero and five right now. The Dolphins zero and six. Zero and six. I think zero and five. Okay, zero yeah, and five. So. They're, yeah. they're still the worst team in the NFL, I think, right? It's particularly after the Jets Maybe knocked one, off the Cowboys. They're projecting to be one of the worst teams and in NFL they, and history. Then, and then they the Redskins beat them last week, right? And they were the another team that hadn't won. They were winless this season. So I think that at this particular point, they're still going to try to steal a win here and there. Although they're trying to tank, there are a lot of guys on that team with pride. And knocking off a 4-1 and one team would be a big victory for those guys. So you got to watch out for those guys. They want to be giant killers. So they know their season's over. So the best thing that they could do to have a moral victory is to knock off someone that's having a really good season. And so I think you have to be really careful of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious how you've handled situations like that. Yeah. Um, when there there is a guy, you know, what's your routine like and how do you maintain the same routine and preparation when, how do you not allow it to creep in when you're like, all right, I, I should be able question. to handle this guy if, if I cut corners a little bit here or there. How do you kind of keep yourself honest? Well, you think about the remainder of the season. And so I think that you look at the big picture, but you still focus on the opponent immediately in front of you. So I think one of the great things is that we had a week off with a bye week. One of the dangerous things is that we had a week off. He even says we. He's such a fan. He says we. <laughs> with the bye week. So I, I'm I'm afraid that, you know, I, I'm hoping that the Bills were focused this week and getting rest and then getting dialed in so they could go and pound the Dolphins as opposed to just get a victory and move on. Um, particularly because you have the, you know, tendency to be like, 
we just play the Dolphins next week. I can rest this week, basically, and chill, eat whatever I want. I don't have to train much. I don't have to stretch, get into the gym. We're good no matter what. But I think that just stay focused. Stay focused on the big picture. Right now, we are in a great place. And whenever we are in a great place, you know that the harder days are coming. We still have a lot of difficult teams on our schedule. We've still got a game against the Pats. We've still got to play the Eagles here on the 27th. I think that as long as we're focused, we'll be good. We'll be good. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Usually they talk about going week to week, not looking at the big picture, but you can get a sense of motivation from being like, hey, who cares if it's the Dolphins? If we lose, then then our big picture goals are right. thrown out of whack. Well, you don't you don't want to lose. To, no one wants to lose to the team that doesn't have any wins, right? You don't want to be that squad that you lose to the guy that doesn't have any victory. So I think that just out of sheer pride and just out of a position where we don't want to be the guys that are that one check on their win list this season, that we're going to just play our hearts out. And this is one of those games where you're like, we let's just go off, right? Let let's boost and pad our stats. Let's get John Brown in the end zone, right? Let's get Josh Allen, you know, hundred rushing yards on the ground. I think that we need to get in a place where we can just really start to get our offense moving because we've got a lot of good guys on our squad. But you know, I think for us to be where we want to be, we're gonna have to get our offense to match our defense in terms of their playing ability. Jordan Burroughs is here in the Sports Radio 1270 of the Fan Studios. Jordan is a two-time NCAA champ at Nebraska, two-time Olympic wrestler, gold medal in 2012. Uh, we have a few minutes left. and But for the record, because I guess this is a question you probably get asked all the time, at some point you're going to walk away from competitive wrestling. For sure. But what do you do after that? Because to a couple of the common things or people would want to say is pro wrestling, <laughs> or no, mixed me. martial arts. Yeah. Is there any? What's your? I've cons- what's I your take on either of those? I considered the UFC for quite some time. Um, I don't want to get punched in the face or kicked in the head, though. Those are kind of the two deterrents for me. It's it's a very fun sport to watch. Mm, this is a I good scouting report. A lot of wrestlers are making the transition. If you look at the, a lot of the champions in the UFC. From guys like Daniel Cormier to Kamaru Usman to Henry Cejudo, all, all of these guys were really good wrestlers, and they've been able to make that transition relatively easily. So I'm like, well, I trained with that guy. I've competed against this guy. I've trained alongside. I can definitely compete. If this guy can compete at the highest level in the UFC, I can compete. But I think for me, I wonder how many of those guys really actually like to fight. I think that it's cool because like there's this sort of honor and nobility that comes with being really tough and being able to beat people up and having celebrities ringside and making hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars and wearing a belt and be, being called the champ everywhere you go. But I think that, yeah, if you what's look, wrong with all that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All good all stuff. Right. But, uh-huh, but, right? but we're so, this sport is so relatively new that you don't really know what the effects are going to be on the athletes that's a concern for you right so look at the nfl i think a lot of guys are retiring earlier because of what they know essentially will happen to them if they have those 10 to 12 year careers and i think that we don't have anybody in the ufc that's really fought that long or competed that long in mixed martial arts so i think in another 20 years maybe there'll be a transition but right now it's hot and people enjoy watching it and it's it's got a lot of buzz around it but it's fun i love it i get a lot of friends that compete in it and uh are you saying you're out though I'm out. I'm out. My okay. my dream, I would love to create a high-performance training center back in the tri-state area. I'm originally from New Jersey, 
And so I grew up 17 miles from Philadelphia. So somewhere in the Philly, South Jersey area, I'd like to create a high-performance training center in which we not only taught athletes how to be great from a physical perspective, but also we taught character development. But particularly, I would love to train UFC fighters and how because wrestling is such a big part of what they do in MMA. I would love to take the best fighters and really help them sharpen up their wrestling. Um, and so that's something that I'd love to do. But I think wrestling's my sport. And so you can get out of, you can get into it without taking the yeah for sure taking punches to the without face. taking punches to the face. I don't want to get punched, and not because I'm not tough, right? I think that there are people who are just as tough as fighters that choose other sports or other professions just by choice, and right? I, and that's what it is for me. I love wrestling, right? Wrestling's my thing. I've done it since I was a kid, and uh, UFC is relatively new. So I wanted to ask you, uh, let's do a tale of the tape here. Yeah, I'm throwing sure. myself in there, but me versus you. You don't uh, stand a chance. Uh, wait, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I know this. I know this. That's why I'm going to handicap uh, the the competition here, okay. and I want to see what you think. So let's put everything out there. I'm 48. Okay. So you have That's obviously you have 17 years of youth on me. Yeah. I'm six two. I have a height advantage, a reach advantage. Yeah. Uh, I also have two herniated discs. Ooh, that's rough. I'm on cholesterol medication. I don't uh, want to kill you now. Like, I'm, right. I'm taking my half aspirin every day like an old man should. Uh, but let's do this. So this, have you ever seen the movie Pulp Fiction? Of course. Okay, so the scene where Butch Coolidge, the boxer, he's been in the back room uh, and things have gone bad. Sure. But he sneaks out. And now he has his choice of weapons, right? And yeah. it keeps getting more and more. So let's say, at what point do I have a chance? Now let's. I have. You I wrote, have a list went, of things that you were going to. Yes, I, I me went with? back and looked. Okay. I went back and looked at the the scene of okay. the movie. So yep. I think let's call this the Butch Coolidge test. All right, got you. So um, first thing I grab is a hammer. Does that help me out at all? Mm. Hammer would be helpful. It, it really depends. You have to hit me with your first swing. Right? That's so, a fact. And, so if you miss with the first swing, then you're in trouble, right? Because now <laughs> right. I have a hold of you, and you got to get close to hit with a hammer. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, but you got to be, you got to be 100 percent with your accuracy. All right. Okay. See, now this is the exact kind of break. This is, and I wanted analysis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Butch didn't like the hammer. Hammers. Butch put the hammer down, and he had the next thing. He grabbed a baseball bat. That baseball bat's worse. I'd rather have a. I, well, if I were you, I'd rather have a hammer than a baseball bat. Baseball oh, good bat, job, definitely. Bobby, with this. He's got the baseball music. bat. You don't want the baseball bat at all. Baseball bat's worthless. Why do Why do you say? Well, because you're you're going to be laboring to swing. At least if I got, let's just say I got in on a leg or I grabbed you, body locked you, you could still hit with the hammer. Like once oh, a guy right. got I could close crack to you, you on the skull can't with really the do much with a bat. Right. You're going to try to swing it like a pitch was coming right. your way. That's so once true. you whiff with it, I, I'm done. It's a wrap. You're it's right. a wrap for you. You don't want a baseball bat. I'm, uh, you said I have to get you with the first move, but I, if I have the hammer like right there on your head. And the, the, the bat's going to take a lot of energy, too. At least the hammer, you can kind of mm, go. Okay, so hammer, maybe. Yeah, maybe. made some quick jabs with it. <laughs> but Butch didn't like the the baseball bat either. He yeah. next picked up a chainsaw. Chainsaw is, that's it. I, I don't even know. How could I combat a chainsaw? You're gonna, well, my thinking on this is it would be similar to, I mean, this is a, I have to swing it do in I some get a, way. Do I get a weapon or no? No. No, I'm chilling. Absolutely I'm, I'm, not. You're I'm not just, chilling. I'm you, yes. Strictly 
what I have. What you, I'm you, with you know me. what? You're of the mentality of this guy's 48 and he's has degenerative <laughs> disc issues. I don't need a weapon, and if I do need a weapon, I should be ashamed of myself. The chainsaw though might be one of those that like turns. It's like turn. It might turn relatively dark for you because it. It Absolutely. can cut you too, right? Absolutely. So it's one of those things I where it's like. I think that your strategy, or you, your strategy, might have to be. You might have to take a. You might need some stitches. Like you're gonna, you're gonna have to maybe get in there, but it's gonna. You'll be able to take care of it once you. But how painful is a shot. chainsaw, though, right? So like, let's just yeah, say you can go into shock. Let's That's say true. you're in a life or death situation, and someone has a chainsaw, and they get you. They get you good, right? And they're and they're well, getting, they're, they're cutting you. Can you still be combative, or all immediately are you just like ah? Like, That's right, a great are you, point. Are you done and completely immobilized, or can you still fight with great point. your arm? You almost want to go into shock at that point, right? So that you're not feeling it, and yeah. you can use the rest of your body yes. to fight it off. You're, I think the the main objective there is to knock it out of his hand as quick as possible. With but how can you knock it though? You right, you, it's it hard to knock it without getting It's got a handle. There's like, like two you handles. The, chainsaw on. Down. the other, this sound, this is probably what, and if it isn't, it should be like a horror movie writing session because they should say, "What's plausible here?" What's plausible? Yeah, like what could actually, or like the movie Saw. You know, like they should be talking yeah. about like what should, what would actually happen here. All right, so you know what? He didn't want the chainsaw didn't because want what happened? He eyed it up there on the top shelf, samurai sword. Mm. <laughs> And he See, had some style same, points. On I think the samurai, the samurai sword is a lot yeah. like the baseball bat, though. You've got to have prowess, and you've got to understand that if you miss, then I got you. Oh yeah, right. Because you've got to hold it with both hands. Yeah. And both hands on a single item might not be a good look for you. And so, and I don't know how athletic you are. I've got to see. I got to. I got to see you. I got to see. Used a video to be. Of you. Used to be. And you know what? The, my what my real what would really hurt me is I used to be athletic. And I think that my muscle memory, I would think that I could get away with things, <laughs> and I think it would probably hurt me. Uh, everything no. always looks a lot easier yeah, than I it think actually that I, is I, I do, In right? my mind, I'd be like, I got this, until I tried it, and I said, I don't got this. But I, I guess I'd rather you have the – I'd rather get hit with a baseball bat than a samurai sword, right? So the same motion, sure. <laughs> well, but I'd definitely rather get, get hit, hit, right? hit with the right. bat. Anywhere. If you get a clean shot Anywhere. with a baseball bat in your head, that might be it. Yeah, a clean shot with no, the sword, you don't have a head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get a clean shot with the sword, it's a wrap, no That's matter right. where it hits you. And of course, the Something's scene ended. Off. Now, this, I'm not throwing this in there because it's not fair, but the scene ended with a sawed off shotgun. Now, yeah, that wasn't Butch Coolidge, but the other guy, I'm forgetting his name, uh, the, the other character ends up with a sawed off shotgun. But anyway, okay, so at what point is this, do I have a chance? Any? Well, first off, let's be realistic. At no point do I have a chance. No. No. I don't think so. I mean, obviously, that, me this would be a very I, unique, if I blink, a unique if I blink, matchup for me. I've never fought or wrestled a guy with a weapon. Um, <laughs> well, I wouldn't be wrestling. I think I'd have, I, I, you're, I think in this whole thing is I'd have one shot. I would, I would, I would continue to like kind of like work around the arena to make sure that i could get you tired eventually no, I, I just i just mentally fatigue you and physically yeah. fatigue you from having yeah. to like swing it back so many times that um, you were just like you were over it and then i just strike you what would happen okay so this is what would probably realistically happen no matter what i with the exception of the gun but if the other things i'm having something that i had to swing or get within range you just keep your distance like you said yeah i would eventually pee myself <laughs> and that'd be the end of it 
Tim Graham swings, used to be allergic to contact, around too. Cut That's an important part of the tale yeah. of the tape. Yeah, Tim also needs that? to be ruthless enough to use a sword to win a wrestling match. It's yeah. not a re- well, This isn't a wrestling match. <laughs> this is this a, is a, we're no in a pawn shop. Oh, Whereas yeah. this is Pulp Fiction. We're in a pawn shop. Do I have to somebody? wear a wrestling singlet is the question. Do I have to wear a wrestling singlet? Would you be in a wrestling singlet? Yes. You definitely have to be in a singlet. Absolutely. Nice. send one up. What? Juicy. You know what I'm saying? Before I leave. You're probably XL. Make sure I get one. Oh, no, 2X. For sure, two X, two X, absolutely. Right, you. But you gotta, you've gotta wear, you've gotta take a picture in it. And I will post it do on your Twitter if page. you send me a singlet. Oh I will do God. the show in it. We do, we brought, we're on Deal? video, yeah. absolutely. I want to see it. You guys got to make sure you get this. It'll on happen. Video. I don't know if I want to see it. We periscope it. This is great. If he really, oh my God, there's no way you're not wearing it. We'll put it on you. I have to do it. I look like we'll uh, King Kong Bundy. That's awesome. I'm gonna get you a custom Graham. Oh my God! USA Wrestling singlet. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. For you, I'd be honored in studio. I'd be honored. For there was sure. something else I was going to bring up. This this went a little longer than I wanted, but it was fun. Yeah, no, that's great. But yeah, I think I'd urinate on myself, and that'd be the end of it. <laughs> and have you ever wrestled? Have any of you guys ever wrestled? I uh, used like to, a gym class. Competitively, no, I used oh, gym class. I uh, Matt was bringing. Up, I had when I played football. I was notoriously allergic to contact <laughs> because I was uh, destroyed by a, a guy on the team who was a madman. Who used to he was he started off as a defensive back when I was a freshman. Yep. And the next year I became a sophomore. He became a senior. He got moved to def, uh, defensive tackle. So imagine he, going from he, he gained def- a lot of weight that summer. No, huh? he didn't. He was a, he was a maniac. <laughs> he was just a, he was just a maniac. <laughs> and so yeah, he he beat the content. But as I got into adulthood, I actually picked up a an affinity for it. Yeah. Do you Contact. guys play football? I boxed a little bit. No. Hockey. Yeah, boxing is fun. I boxed a little bit. Yeah, but hockey's big here, huh? Hockey's big here in, in Buffalo, close to Canada. Your kid's going to play hockey? I don't know. My son really likes soccer. Beacon is a soccer player or really likes gymnastics. I, I'm hoping that they both wrestle. I'm going to definitely put Beacon and Orr into wrestling. I just think it's such a great sport um, just in terms of teaching character and integrity and all those great things that will help them be great individuals. But I, I would like to see them try as many sports as possible and hopefully cling to one of them. We'll see. We'll see. But Beacon likes soccer right now. It's his thing. He's like a big, messy fan. So he's got his cleats and his shin pads, and it's just a scrum. Basically, they just throw the ball in the middle of the field, and there's five or six kids in a scrum surrounding the ball trying to get into goals. Like, see this ball? See that goal? Put the ball in that net over there. Um, but it's fun. It's fun to You watch. do think it's important for kids to diversify because there are a lot of – parents out there that think i want my son to be great at something and so that's all he's gonna do yeah for sure well i've i've had so much success on my own that i don't need to see my kids be extremely successful for my own value or motivation like i think parents that have had success on their own don't really push their kids tremendously because they know how hard it is and so if he's serious about it then i'm going to teach him because i know a lot about athletics and about mindset but I mean, I, th- I really just want him to participate, and I'm going to teach him work ethic. And if he works hard and he does what he loves, then that's really all I can ask for. But I hope he's good. I mean, I'd like him to be good, but I really can't influence that. And those Mariocker jeans and your jeans are probably going to be pretty good wrestlers, right? Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm hoping so, right? we got a lot of wrestlers in the family, so if I don't get them, Grandpa or one of his uncles will get them to participate. So, yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. I'm hoping that he wrestles, man. It's a great sport. It's a great sport. I love it. And it's one of those things where I know so much about it that for him to do anything else, I'd feel like, you know, like if you were a doctor, you wouldn't, you know, push your son and to be, you know, in another field, right? Or to be an artist, you'd be like, hey, listen, I know so much about this business. Like, let's 
let's do this. And so I think that there's it's it's twofold because a lot of people pressure their kids to be really successful at sports just because of um, how lucrative it is at the highest level. But I think also it's scary for a lot of people because if you do something for a long time and you're really good at it, you kind of shy away from it. Like, well, I don't want to push them. Right? But it's like, okay, well, you're one of the best in the world. Like, imagine if you could have someone in your household that was the best in the world at something. Wouldn't you want to be an apprentice and really learn? Like, imagine if you guys, who is your favorite radio show host? Or, oh, come or, on. Like, imagine having, you know, Howard Stern or Jim Rome or one of those guys that lived in-house with you. Like, you'd be like, yo, dad, teach me. Teach me how to do this better. Teach me how to be better at this. Um, so... I'm gonna teach him, but he's. I would like him to to want to do it too. I don't want to feel like the the crazy trophy parent. Jordan Burroughs, Olympic gold medalist wrestler, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, I've enjoyed man. this. Let me let Thank me plug guys. the camp one more time for sure. The All I See Is Gold Wrestling Camp Saturday at the UB Fieldhouse. Uh, you get two wrestling sessions, lunch, Q and A session with Jordan Burroughs. Uh, Hundred dollars a wrestler. Uh, do we have? Con- I- do we have contact or a phone number? Or I'll put it out on Twitter. Yeah, I'll tweet it out you. so anybody who's listening to the show can sign up for the camp if they want to go. Uh, follow Jordan Burroughs at All I See Is Gold or at jordanburrows.com. And, uh, again, thanks for coming in the studio. Yeah, this thanks for having fun. me, guys. This was great. I'm Thank looking forward to that singlet. And I think not nearly as much as the people who are going to be watching. I can't wait to see it. I'm not looking forward to it, personally. I, have to I might have to, to shave my chest. He's like, I might skip lunch that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll shave. I don't care. I got to look good in it. Oh, man. That's going to be great, man. You got to send me a photo, please. No, you're going to be able to watch it. The Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. When we come back, we're going to have former Miami Dolphins receiver Greg Camarillo to talk about how being on a winless Dolphins team is no fun. But he was the hero, and he can tell you, just like we were talking, if you're a Bills fan, <laughs> don't count on don't count your victories before they happen. That and more on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The place is not open till Tuesday. Am I not saying it right? It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Farmer hits him on the head and grinds him up, and that's how we get hamburgers. Broadcasting live. Tim Graham Show. Give some free whiteout, though. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yuck, huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, the fan. Wet ball. Taking your calls at 270-1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham.
Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Here with my co-host, Jonah Bronstein, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, and of course, Bobby Rosati, the producer. And uh, don't want to waste any time. I want to bring in this next guest uh, who has some unique insights uh, into a little uh, sports psychology that uh, the Miami Dolphins might be dealing with as they're plodding through an 0-6 season. Everybody is assuming they're going to go 0-16. And, well, the very first NFL team I covered as a beat reporter happened to be the 2007 Miami Dolphins for the Palm Beach Post. And our next guest was perhaps the hero of the entire season. Joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline is Greg Camarillo, a wide receiver who an, an incredibly inspirational story about how he stuck in the NFL for as long as he did. And we're going to get into that. Uh, but uh, Greg, thanks for uh, joining us on the show to, to talk about your recollections of probably some unpleasant memories before we get to some happy ones. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm uh, honored to be your personal expert on terrible teams. <laughs> well, there's a lot of guys I guess I could have phoned. Uh, I do have a lot of numbers uh, from that team, but you did play such an incredible role. Uh, and let me recap for uh, Western New York listeners who uh, maybe uh, weren't as attuned to the 07 Dolphins as I was, uh, but the Dolphins are 0-13, entering a December 16th game against the Baltimore Ravens. The game is down in Miami Gardens. The Ravens are 4-9. and Now, they'd gotten off to a 4-2 and start, but had lost seven in a row after winning 13 uh, games the year before, and uh, that would have been seven years removed from their Super Bowl championship. So the Ravens, you know, still a pretty good team. Um, Brian Billick is the head coach. Uh, The defense still has a lot of those parts uh, that have become household names over the years. Uh, But the Ravens, only a three-point favorite going up against those 0-13 Miami Dolphins. And... What was weighing on South Florida at the time, too, while this is going on, keep in mind that the New England Patriots are on their way to a seemingly undefeated season to become the first since the hallowed 72 Dolphins. So there was a lot of anxiety going on in South Florida back then, Greg. Uh, yeah. Let's get let's it, take it right up until that game because you hadn't had some heroics yet. But at 0-13, yeah. how much is that winless season weighing on you? It's it's uh, an absolute heavy weight every week, and not only were the Patriots on their roll, we were celebrating the I believe it was 25th anniversary of the '72 Dolphins, who 35. Were it would have been 35. Uh, 35. Sorry, there you go. Um, the 35th anniversary of a perfect team. Meanwhile, we are the total opposite, the defeated team. Um, and so it's a huge weight. You know, it's what it's what the the, the Beat writers like yourself wanted to focus on, and we just wanted to forget about it. But, um, you know, we were on the verge of being the first team to go 0-16. The, the Bucks did it a while back, but that was only 14 games. So every week it was, are you guys going to win this week, or are you going to be defeated forever? And it was, I guess we can laugh about it now. It, it wasn't funny for you at the time, but I remember yeah, some, of, some of these games, uh, the New England Patriots game that was down there uh, at Miami Gardens, in which 
every other play uh, when the Patriots are on offense, uh, Tom Brady's just uncorking a 50-yarder into the end zone for Randy Moss. And it, <laughs> Randy Moss would go up and make a great catch, and three defenders would not only not make the play, they'd get hurt. You know, and I'm talking about season-ending injuries. I mean, guys were falling down injured. It was it was like watching, um, I don't know, I guess you'd see mismatches like this at high school. Um, but yeah. this was, I'm talking about the Patriots being the best in the NFL and, of course, goes on to be a record-breaking offense that year against the Dolphins, as we're saying, per, uh, uh, on pace to be one of the worst teams of all time. Yeah, uh, and it it was, like you mentioned, it, it wasn't just that we were lacking talent. We had some solid talent, but we just also were terribly unlucky. You mentioned Randy Moss goes up for a catch, which he, he does on everyone. He catches great great um, touchdowns on over receive, uh, over DBs, but you're right. The luck was our DBs would pop up with torn ACLs or dislocated shoulders. Uh, so not only were, were we struggling, we were just losing guys every week, making it harder. The team was a lot more competitive uh, than the scoreboard. Well, not even that the score. The scoreboard was actually indicating close games. You lost six mm-hmm. games that year by a field goal. These were not slaughters on a weekly basis. These were close games. You just were coming up short. You were down to your third quarterback at one point. Trent Green is the starter. He gets knocked out of the season with a concussion, if I remember correctly. Uh, Cleo mm-hmm. Lemon has an injury issue. Uh, John Beck, the rookie, comes in. He goes 0-4. Um, Jesse Chapman was, it turns out to be your your main running back. People probably have to look up yeah. who Jesse Chapman is because Ronnie Brown's hurt and Ricky Williams comes back from his suspension and lasts a quarter before he suffers a yeah. season-ending en- injury. It was it was amazing. Uh, it, the, the amount of bad luck and injuries that were happening uh, Zach Thomas gets in a fender bender after the game, gets a concussion. He's done for the season. So heading into that game against Baltimore, uh, it's only three games left. Everybody's running out the string. And I guess this is why I want to talk about the game uh, that happened on December 16th against the Ravens to remind Bills fans that you probably shouldn't ever take anybody for granted. So the Dolphins are coming in this Sunday to Orchard Park at 0-6. Those 0-3 Dolphins going up against Baltimore, Sam Congato scores a touchdown, and Jay Feely kicks wow. three field goals. Matt Stover hits an 18-yard field goal with eight seconds left to tie it at 16 to send the game into overtime. And Greg Camarillo, who has never scored a touchdown in the NFL or in college, another great part about your story. You didn't even score. You, you were a walk-on punter at Stanford. I was. You end up scoring a touchdown on a skinny post. Can you just maybe replay what that's like to be undrafted, no combine, unrecruited, uh, walk-on slash practice squad, scrapping guy who's now has nothing between himself and the end zone in an NFL football game? Yeah, and that's the the one good thing about being on a terrible team that's just continually losing games is that backups, guys at the bottom of the roster are going to get a shot. Clearly the people at the front of the roster are either hurt or it's just not working. Um, So you're going to find a way to get yourself on the field. And uh, what I had learned from my career up to that point was when an opportunity presents itself, you have to be prepared for it. 
Um, so I was the fourth receiver going into that game, and we called four wides a couple times, and I had um, my second, third, and fourth catch of my career that game. So I literally had a career of one catch for two yards going into that game. So, uh, you know, you talked about uh, people had to look up Jesse Chapman's name. People had to look up my name. I was um, I-, I was totally unheard of going into that game. And, um, you know, f- fortunately, I got a shot to play. Um, I caught the same play, the same pass, the same route three times in a row, and it just happened to be in overtime that um, Ed Reed tried to play a little risky and go for an interception and missed, and um, there was just me with the ball and a whole lot of open field, and it had been a long, long, long time before uh, since I had been in the end zone, and it just it felt good to get in there. And then, you know, being that the team struggled so much week in and week out, the sense of relief, the sense of joy, uh, the celebrating together, um, it's something I'll never forget. It was I never won a, a championship in the NFL, but I would assume that that the the elation was similar. Uh, the bonding with the guys was similar. It was it was just such a relief to finally get a win. That is not, and we're in conversation on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline with former Dolphins, Chargers, Vikings, and Saints receiver Greg Camarillo recounting that miserable 2007 Miami Dolphins season. Uh, that uh, had a highlight, though, uh, on December 16th against the Ravens, and Greg Camarillo was it, uh, going 64 yards for a touchdown in sudden death uh, to beat the Ravens. Um, but I, I don't think that's hyperbolic to say that the emotions from winning that single game, especially at 0-13, are going to be a lot different than... 0 and 3 and you get your first win. That's kind of a oh by the way, you know, you're supposed to get that win. But at 0 and 13 with the pressure mounting, I have spoken to guys who've experienced both and they've said that it does compare to winning yeah. the Super Bowl and in some ways feels better. Uh because when you're on a good team, at some point there's an expectation that we can win the Super Bowl, but at 0 and 13, you're wondering when it's going to come. Uh I I recall asking you this um uh, well, it would have been, I guess, nine years ago regarding the 2010 Bills that started the season Owen whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, Greg Camarillo has a engineering degree from Stanford. So I figure that somebody with uh, a little bit of a mathematical mind can fi- uh, figure this out. So if the value of any win is X, uh-huh. what is the exponential value of a win when the team is Owen 6 or 0 and 13. Can we quantify what yes. that is? Let's quantify that and let's go with the 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 um oh man, if we we'll take it all the way to engineering, if you go x squared, a graph of that, it it is a curve that starts out and then loops up, kind of like a roller coaster. What's the uh that curve coming down, the same thing going up where at each after each week, it is that exponent higher. So after week one, it's one, two, it would be four, three, nine, four, sixteen, and you, whatever fourteen squared is, it would be that much more valuable, uh, just because of of everything that you know the the heartbreak that you have experienced for three straight months going into it. In the NFL, you prepare each week to win a game. These guys on the Dolphins, they've been getting slaughtered. But I guarantee you that they go into work on uh, on a Wednesday with the beginning of a, of an NFL week, and they are preparing 
mentally and physically to win a game and then just to get blown out each week, or in our team's case, just to lose each week, um, it definitely builds in there. And, and thanks for bringing in the engineering. Let's, let's go with the actual X squared exponent of, of each week. All right, I dig it. And here's the here's another reminder of how a hero can come from anywhere. Um, is that not only did the Ravens probably have to look up and down the roster as they're getting ready for that game and chuckling to themselves, saying, "All right, who here's going to beat us? Is it going to be Sam Congato? Is it going to be oh geez, Lorenzo Booker? Uh, is it going to be Aaron Halterman? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm really trying yeah. to pull some some numbers. Digging up some good names. Some is good it going to be Reagan uh, Mawia? Um, and they, Greg Camrio, with his one catch for two yards in his career, comes up and beats him on this skinny post. Um, is that as you're running to the end zone, the Dolphins' own broadcasters didn't know your name. <laughs> uh, yes. Jim Mandich, I think, calls you Rich Camarillo, the former NFL punter. Uh, yeah. So, uh, do you? <laughs> it kind of ruined your moment. Now you scored some more NFL touchdowns no, after that, but the replay has you being called Rich Camarillo. Yeah. He says, "I love Rich Camarillo," and it really just makes the moment that much sweeter. That um, you know, here's this guy that nobody has heard of. Even the radio announcer, who is whose job is to study, wouldn't bother to go so far to the roster as to memorize Camarillo's first name. Um, and I wouldn't have either. You know, I, I do some broadcasting now, and I, I wouldn't have been focusing on that. Um, and so it makes the moment that much sweeter. And to see the highlight and hear, I love Rich Camarillo, uh, it gives me a, a good chuckle about the situation. So I guess what's the warning then that you would have for an opponent of the Dolphins? Um, as much as things are weighing on them, they're getting beat by a lot. Um, I know that you can, maybe you can only take us so far into what's going on through those dolphins with the minds of the dolphins because as we've said you lost three games by by a field or I'm sorry six games by a field goal um yeah the games were close um yeah. late in the season against a team that had lost seven in a row uh, you were only a three point favor a uh, three point underdog against the ravens um so yeah. but these guys are getting blown out almost as though they're trying to get blown out mhm well, I mean, the, the warning would be uh, a couple different things. One is the Dolphins almost won last week, so there is that rejuvenated sense of we can get one. You know, they've been getting totally blown out, and then they lost with six seconds left on a two-point conversion, a failed two-point conversion last week. Uh, and then there's a couple other components. Is guys in the NFL are fighting for their jobs. This is your livelihood. This is what you do. Every team watches the tape, so even if it's not, let me put my best out there for our team. I'm going to put the best out there for me so I can continue my career so I don't get cut. So uh, next year, if I'm a free agent, I get picked up by somebody else. So the guys are going to put visual effort out there. And that, that, I mean, that doesn't make for good team chemistry, but it can make um, for good plays. Good players will make good plays. Uh, and then there's two other things. It's, it's just – if you let a team hang around, anything can happen. If you smash a team early, you know, a team like the Dolphins will quit. But if you let a team hang around, it could be one turnover. It could be a, an interception, a penalty that, that can swing the game. Uh, on the other way, in, in our case in 2007, the Ravens, as the game was ending, caught a ball on the one-yard line. If that player had been one yard further down the field, we probably would have been 0-16. So, Small things like that. And then the last thing to consider is that 
they just named Ryan Fitzpatrick as the starting QB, I believe. He played in Buffalo. So not only is he rejuvenated as being the starter, he's rejuvenated and coming to play against his former team. It, it, and as, as, as fans player, here in Buffalo know, Greg, it's he's a charismatic guy that his teammates yeah. really love to play for. And that's not to say they were bagging it for Josh Rosen, but Ryan Fitzpatrick has a way to spark his, his teammates, even if it's for a short yeah. period of time. And you just that's all you need is that slight little spark, and that's why coaches change quarterbacks. It's not as though uh, he's that much better than Josh Rosen, but can we get that spark this week? And so Ryan Fitzpatrick probably telling his teammates, look, man, I played in Buffalo. It would mean nothing more to me to go in there and kick their ass. Oh, excuse me, kick their, kick you, their rear. You can Let's say that, that. You can say that. Uh, there you go. We're in conversation with Greg Camarillo here on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Uh, and I'm going to play the role. I'm going to, well, I'll, I'll debate it myself. Uh, but you can, I guess, speak to it, uh, Greg, is that I almost just called you rich. Um, is that you, the Bills fans will say, yeah, but we have a dominant defense. And so yeah. I can understand a team coming up for air, but they're not going to do it this week against our Bills. Or even, uh, let's maybe even take the psychology of the Bills coming off their bye. They might be thinking soft touch coming up, you know, almost like it's a, a preseason, you know, tune up coming out of our bye. That Ravens team that you beat, that the one in 15 Dolphins got their lone victory against, had Ray Lewis, Terrell mm-hmm. Suggs, um, Bart Scott, Ed Reed, Ed Reed, Haloti yep. Nada. I mean that mm-hmm. was a really good defense, and it's, I'm sure that you know that's it. And by the way, those Ravens teams year in and year out would talk about we have a chance to be the best defense of all time. I mean they had that much talent on their defense, so it it only takes a break or two, and uh, exactly. and and you have a chance to win that game and and stun the world. And yeah. the Bills fans uh, or Bills don't even have to go back that far. They were 16-and-a-half-point underdogs to the Minnesota Vikings last year at Minnesota, went there and slaughtered them. Um, yep. I keep using the word slaughter a lot. Uh, maybe I should find a different uh, <laughs> a different uh, verb. Yeah. But anyways, it's uh, I think it's a good exercise in sports psychology, a game like this. Yeah, and, and the Dolphins are not going to show, show up and think, oh, we're going to you know, run the ball down our throats consecutively the entire game. They're going to take shots. That's the only way that a team like that is going to beat the Bills. They're going to they're going to come out with some flea flickers, some reverses. They're going to bomb the ball downfield. Anything that can be that little spark, and if you connect on one or two of those, it can totally change the outcome of a game. And so, um, you know, your your defense may be consistent throughout the entire year, but if you falter on two, three, four plays in one game, that could be the difference between uh, you know shutting a team out and, and letting a team score twenty one, twenty eight points. So. I want to wrap up with this, Greg. Uh, Greg Camarillo, former uh, Miami Dolphins receiver. Uh, at least that's what he's mo- uh, known mostly for. Also played for the Vikings, Saints, and Chargers. Um, I, when I talk to groups, I get invited to talk to sometimes youth sports groups uh, or uh, church groups, things like that. Uh, and I talk about overachieving in the fact that even though as a kid you get inundated from your parents, from your teachers, or at least hopefully you do, uh, from your principal, whomever, your coach, who can say and should tell you, you can do whatever it is you want to do. And I think I'm going back to when I was 10, 12, 14. After a while, you keep you roll your eyes and you're like, uh-huh, sure, sure I can. Uh, and you might settle into a certain 
way of life or a direction and, you know, take things for granted. I, I use two football players as an example of how anybody can really achieve anything, especially if you're sports minded. Uh, Fred Jackson is one because of he was a Buffalo Bills running back and his story is known a little bit more. But the name that I always like to introduce to uh, to kids and their parents and I they raise their eyebrow is when I mentioned Greg Camarillo's story. Now, Greg was six one and one hundred and ninety pounds in the NFL. He ran a four six forty. He has size medium hands. He wore a size and probably still does, right? Size medium yeah. glove. They're not big. <laughs> was a kicker, punter, receiver, and defensive end, a weird com- combination yeah. at, at Menlo Atherton High School. Led the team in sacks. That's right. Went to Stanford as a walk-on punter. Talked his way onto the team. Could have gone to Harvard or something like that, but wanted to play as a, at the biggest school possible. Redshirted as a freshman, didn't get a scholarship until he was there for two years. Finishes his Stanford career with 46 catches, 613 yards, zero touchdowns. Ends up on the gets a doesn't go to the combine. Isn't wasn't recruited really for college other than the Ivies and you know the non scholarships. But ends up with the career in which you're catching touchdown passes from Brett Favre, uh, playing a clutch uh, possession receiver. Uh, led the Dolphins in re- in receiving one year, so I guess I'm teeing you up here. What would you say to kids out there? They, you did do this, and is there a way to cut through that white noise of, "Hey, you can do anything if you keep trying," because there are probably thirty Greg Camarillos in Western New York playing on Friday nights right now who won't even go <laughs> and play in, and won't play in college, let alone reach the yeah. NFL. So I yeah. guess what's the message? Yeah, well, the, um, I could give you the full hour-long story if we had more time, but I'll give you the, the abridged version. Uh, hard work creates opportunity. When an opportunity arises, you have to be prepared. Uh, and I learned this from um, my freshman year in college as a walk-on punter. Our senior punter sucked, and coach wanted to bench him. And one day threw me into practice with the starting punting team, gave me two shots to punt the ball to see if I could play. Failed miserably. Terrible punt and saw basically my the next four years of my life and college career passing without ever playing because I was not ready for that opportunity. So made a promise to myself that if another opportunity arises, I'm going to be prepared. And fortunately, um, a lot of other opportunities did arise through hard work and made sure that I was pre- prepared. And week 14 with the Miami Dolphins, you know, I have one catch for two yards. No one would ever think an opportunity would arise. They throw me in there, and fortunately, I was prepared and ready to handle business. So the message is, hard work is going to create those opportunities, and when you have one of those opportunities, you got to be prepared. I think, too, it's about uh, getting just to the next level, maxing out where you are and just trying to get to the next level because it goes from walk-on to scholarship to NFL tryout to practice squad to active roster to special teams to then offense and as long as you think, don't think too far ahead. Just think about get, dominating where you are and just getting to the next level. Uh, so that way you can just keep climbing that ladder. And, and you are the personification of that. Yeah, well, appreciate it, Tim. Well, Greg Camarillo, thanks so much for joining us. I kept you for a lot longer than I thought. Uh, and it's very nice of you to talk about uh, 
well, some unpleasant memories, but also teaching some lessons <laughs> yeah. about uh, not overlooking an opponent and don't overlook a player just because he has one catch for two yards and didn't score a touchdown since Menlo Atherton High School. <laughs> yes, I think you'd be all right if you uh, if you overlooked that player. Ninety nine out of a hundred times is going to be okay. <laughs> well, and then there's that one time. Greg yep. Camarillo, former Dolphins receiver, uh, thanks for joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline, uh, and hopefully we get to talk to you again. Cool. Appreciate it, Tim. All right, that was Greg Camarillo on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. When we come back, we're going to have more Bills talk. We're going to get into the Sabres and much, much more on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Bison Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Guy I'd never heard of. Al Blozis. Maybe not today, but Al Al Blozis. They were working on wet ball drills. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. What's the uh, the time period for when you can watch that off? Now on Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. Tune in radio. SportsRadio1270.com. And on the Fan's app. Your wife will never know. Celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner is a full-service accounting firm that also offers expert consultation for growing and entrepreneurial businesses. Located in Amherst, CTBK specializes in maintaining a human connection and takes a bullish approach to their clients' goals and visions with a no-surprises billing policy. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, or practically any other business operations need you can imagine, call CTBK for a consultation at 716-630-2400. That's 716-630-2400. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. 716-630-2400. It's going to be 92 in Nashville on Saturday. Oh, no kidding? So I'll bring those tear-off warm-up pants like I'm coming off the bench in an NBA game. Calculating. I'll just (laughs) rip off my pants. The Tim Graham Show. Every Wednesday. Is this every Wednesday? Every Wednesday. Sports Radio 1270. 1270. The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Give them a call if you want to merge or acquire or litigate. You want advice on taxes? You want to do some accounting? No, actually, wait. You don't want to do the accounting. You want them to do the accounting. You're sick of your accounting. Give them a jingle at 716-630-2400. Whether you're local or anywhere in the country listening to this, you don't have to be in western New York to take advantage of their services. 716-630-2400. CTBK. Buffalo Sabres play tonight. Be sure you pay attention to that extra time. Opening face-off isn't going to be until... 10 o'clock Eastern because they're playing the Anaheim Ducks at the Honda Center. 
The Ducks might be their best opponent yet, 4-2-0 and so far this season. Sabres, of course, 5-0-1. First place in the Eastern Conference. The entire Eastern Conference, not just the division. The Ducks, by the way, a team that the Sabres beat twice last year. They won each meeting, the Sabres did. so The Sabres have played well on the West Coast road trip during their lean years the last couple seasons. It's almost like they liked being on the road out there better than being at home Well, the in the past. Key Bank Center, just so depressing. Fans booing them all the time. The fans that are there, they actually get around some fans, the locals who've been transplanted, people who've moved away, probably more energetic Sabres fans in Sunrise, Florida than there were in downtown Buffalo last season. Carolina, probably not Nashville or Tampa. They get too many home fans there. But yeah. What do we think about our Buffalo Sabres? They're playing well. They're Hockey is a big uh, effort sport. It's a big that can make a huge difference. You look at the Hurricanes last year. I think about the Knights two years before that. You get a team that plays hard, plays its system, all these cliches that get thrown about. They actually can make a difference in a sport where you're playing an 82-game season and bringing it every night isn't easy, even for the best teams. That's why, yeah, six games in, hard to crown them just yet, but they do look like a team that's not going to be enjoyable to play against which is different uh, from the last couple of years. And, of course, you want to have these types of games early on because it helps pull you through. You're, you're having fun. You're getting results. If you're a member of the Buffalo Sabres, you're not busting your hump every night for another loss, and you start to tune out the coach as, well, there's just one more guy who's coming in here who doesn't have the answers. Getting these results early, being 5-0-1, might be something that resonates in November or December because they start believing in the system. They believe in, to borrow a phrase, the process. They're playing like a team that believes in and respects their coach and what their coach is telling them to do, which I don't know. It's been several seasons and maybe several coaches since you could really say that about the Sabres. Even when they won 10 games in a row last year, it didn't seem like it was Phil Housley's influence that was leading them to those victories. It was by a goal most nights. And that was one of those deals where during the 10-game winning streak, it was fun, much like we were talking earlier about the 2008 Bills starting at 5-1. and one. But then you look back and you see, eh, the games weren't really all that lopsided. In fact, I think... Uh, you know, there were a lot of stats that went against them. They even were getting during, outshot a lot. Yeah, it was it was by the skin of their teeth. And now they're winning decisively. Yeah, they won. Now the Stars Early are struggling. Leads. The Stars are struggling. But they won 4 to nothing against a team that had shut them out twice last year, that they had only scored one goal against in the two games the year before. Ben Bishop had beaten the Sabres 12 straight times, and then they beat him 4 to nothing the other night. So... I mean, it's kind of like we talk about with the Bills. The Bills have won games, but if you break down who they've beaten and how they've beaten them, it's not as impressive as the actual result. The Sabres are not just getting good results, but looking good and doing it. The sample size keeps getting larger. Is it enough yet? 
I mean, where I guess where well, are no, you? It's six games, Matt. Well, where are you with formulating an opinion? Where it where it, what is your? If you had to buy or sell Saber stock, would you be? What would you be doing? I'd still be buying, although the price is probably getting a little, little high now. Uh, I was talking to Sully at the beginning of the season, and he, just to throw away what do you think is going to happen, and I didn't quite understand all the foregone conclusion that they were going to be a lousy team. How good they're going to be is definitely up in the air. I think probably everybody around here is sitting there wondering after the 10 game win streak last year, they probably won't even trust 10 games. You know, if they're nine Oh and one or 10, one and one, they're probably still going to be wondering. I think it's when they hit a losing streak is when you learn and you see, all right, how long does this last? What type of play, you know, how are they losing? You know, what, what does adversity look like when it hits and how do they deal with it? But I'm buying. I think if the coach, if Ralph Kruger's system is getting through to these guys and if they can maintain this energy and this, um, you know, focus that they're playing with, which is not an easy thing to do, I don't see why they can't threaten to to sneak into the playoffs. It is a big-time parity league. And, you know, some lousy teams make the playoffs every year. Some teams mm-hmm. without a lot of talent find their way into the playoffs. Teams Over half the teams make it. I mean, right? a lot, and a lot of teams can do the, the turnaround from being one of the worst to, to sneaking in. So I think they have enough talent, and they're all getting a bit older. They went through last year and realized what didn't work. I think you're right, though. The the more they win early, the more it reinforces some of these things. And if they do hit a losing streak, they can say, all right, if well, if we listen to, to Ralph, crazy old man might have some ideas here to get us out of it because he got us off to such a hot start. So, uh, And I think they got decent enough goaltending. They've got some some bodies on defense that you know are, are making plays for the first time uh, in a while. So, yeah, I'm, I'm buying. I'm a believer. And they score on every power play. <laughs> well, so if you keep that up, Victor Olsen does. He's a he's a player. Yeah, just stick him on the right dot, and the teams <laughs> teams haven't seemed to be able to figure out that you can't leave him open. And it's not keep exactly. Him the puck. It's not exactly the same exact team from a year ago. You know, they've got a few small pieces here and there, and then everybody that was young on the team is one year older, and you know, changes happen. So they they added. A few nice pieces. I think they're improved enough to to have a pretty significant turnaround. But I know a lot of people around here have been fooled before, so I understand some of the hesitation. 17 Sabres have points. 10 players have a goal already through only six games. So Ralph Kruger has some sort of special sauce he's been whipping up, and hopefully it remains effective. Jonah, before we go, I wanted to bring up UB football. A lot of injuries uh, or injury news uh, this week. And also an interesting stat regarding the point spread. We don't have Joel Staniszewski on today because he's traveling. He's actually on his way to Western New York. So give us a little Vegas talk. Well, they're favored by 17, 17 and a half, depending on where you look at Akron, which Akron's 0-6, 0-2 in the MAC, one of the worst teams in college football. So they're a bigger favorite than the Bills are. We talked a lot earlier in the Amazing. show about you know how road. bad Miami is and why that line is where it is. 
and UB for a 2-4 and four team that's also 0-2 in the MAC. It is kind of odd that on the road they're getting that many points. I, I think that says more about Akron than it does about Buffalo. But Buffalo's probably a little bit better than the record. The kicker missed an extra point, a 24-yard field goal, and a late 46-yard field goal, I think it was, in their last loss. Otherwise, they would have won that game over Ohio, had been 3-3, three and three, had been – one and one in the MAC, they look a lot better for the rest of the season. Now they probably got to win out to win the division and go to the MAC championship game, or at least go five and one. They're going to have to go four and two coming off this bye week to get bowl eligible. Don't really know whether six and six will equate to a bowl game, but to be eligible, you're going to have to get to six wins. But they have winnable games. They're all MAC games. Nobody in the MAC is really that outstanding. Toledo's the best team, and they just lost to Bowling Green. So it isn't inconceivable to think that UB could win four of these next six games to get to 500, which even take the bowl game out of it, I think that's significant because then that'll be three straight seasons where they're 6-6 six and six or better, which they've never done as a Division One program. They really didn't do that as a lower-level program too often, and you see that kind of consistency even if 6-6 six and six isn't a great season, avoiding falling back to a losing team after – a great year last year, I think, is signed. Losing the MAC Player of the Year at right. the most important position, dealing with injuries. Uh, you know, it's a this is a transition. Yeah, they're only playing for six the or team. seven seniors really in their you know either starters or backups that get into the game. So this is a young team, and if they finish six and six, that would be a I think a very good sign that they could be even better next season. Now going into this game, there's a little bit of uncertainty as to who the quarterback's going to be. I think it'll be Kyle Vantrese who started the last game against Ohio and played pretty well. He had a late fumble that cost them, but threw the ball well and gave them a little bit more rhythm and timing and consistency in the passing game than Matt Myers, who had been the starting quarterback and was running the ball pretty well. But in the two games UB has won, Myers attempted nine passes and six passes. So they're a, they, they have more rushing attempts than any team in the country except for teams like Army that run the triple, often, triple option. So they're a very run-oriented, run-heavy team, especially with Matt Myers in there. Kyle Van Trees gives them a little bit more balance. Myers is dealing with a neck injury. He did, you know, as coaches like to say, he did some things yesterday at practice, but he hasn't been cleared to fully practice or play yet. I don't think he'll play this week. I'm not sure really how close he is to really playing. And Van Trees has probably earned the opportunity to go out there again and show what he can do until he has really a bad game. I Especially think. against Akron, you think you can probably get away well, with that. And, you know, this was a, a close competition between him and Myers, and Dominic Johnson was part of the competition as well to start a quarterback. I thought Van Trees would sort of get that seniority nod and start the season and have it be maybe like his job to lose early in the season. So I kind of think maybe he's back in that position now. He's getting the opportunity to show what he can do. And if Myers gets healthy and Van Trees struggles in a game, then maybe they go back to Myers. Now Van Trees also – didn't practice during the bye week because of a foot injury. So there was some uncertainty whether maybe he would be able to play this week and would they be going with true freshman Trevor Basinski, who I think might be starting by the end of the season or might be sort of a long-term uh, solution at that position. He's the backup now, but Van Trees was back in practice. Looks like he's going to play. Looks like he's going to be the starting punter again too. He does have a foot injury, not his punting foot, his plant foot. And one interesting thing about him, he's a right-handed quarterback with a left-footed punter. You know too many guys like that, Tim? No. Not that I go around <laughs> surveying or canvassing. There aren't too many people that uh, outside of high school, there aren't too many quarterbacks that punt for their teams as well. But 
Used I would to be think, a thing. I would think if if you throw if you're right handed and you throw the ball right handed, your right foot would be your stronger kicking leg, but not Danny the case with White, Kyle. White, Tom Tupa, Sammy Baugh, etc. There's plenty of people who like shoot left in hockey, but yeah. throw right. You see that a lot with <clears throat> hockey, racket sports, sometimes but you're right. golf, kicking and throwing are. I don't know. It seems like it would be the same, but yeah, you both you use the same plant foot, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, hmm. technically. If and Kyle had mentioned he's kind of ambidextrous. I forget all the breakdowns, but he was saying, you know, I I write with this hand, I throw with this hand, I shoot the basketball with that hand. So I guess that's how it is. But it's just interesting how kids grow up and sort of just realize, hey, I'm going to start kicking it with this yeah. foot, and then you develop this. LeBron James is a little bit like that. He does almost everything left-handed except he, shooting the basketball, right. and maybe I've always wondered if he's really shooting with the wrong hand. Wouldn't that be something? So LeBron, maybe he should give me a call and I could tell him <laughs> yeah, that. A little bit of uh, basket. He's a little busy right now. He's busy with uh, China and Hong yeah. Kong. and He has his ambidextrous hands full. Yeah, it's, he has both ha- both of his dominant hands full. Got himself in a little hot water, so mm-hmm. to speak. An imbroglio. All right, let's get out of here. Let's let everybody stop listening so they can get ready for the big Sabres game tonight. <laughs> it's a long drive. You're going to have four hours to loosen up, do some Christ. deep knee bends. Maybe take a nap, right? You <laughs> Probably what could do you use have? one. Take a nap so that way you can stay up and watch the end of the game. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks to my guests. Greg Camarillo, former Dolphins receiver, joined us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Jordan Burroughs was gracious enough to join us in studio for two extended segments. And uh, my thanks to Jonah Bronstein and Matthew Fairburn and Bobby Rosati. And uh, we'll catch Joel Staniszewski next week. Or maybe we'll actually catch him in between shows. We may see him while he's in town. Yeah. But as far as the listeners are concerned, you'll catch uh, Joel Staniszewski next week on the line from Vegas. Thanks for listening to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. We'll be back next week at this same time on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan.